Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, on a special Election Day episode of the Nolcast. So we will uh, be sure to give you all of our political opinion and ideology and uh, opinions as to how you guys should uh, go about go about voting today. So uh, be prepared for a little bit of a, a different Nolcast here. Uh, sarcasm aside, we always want to uh, thank our friends Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, very vital in what we've been able to do as a podcast, and always want to uh, thank them for the support that they've showed. So, uh, Bud, we'll, uh, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a macro conversation as well, and, and we'll certainly look back at the NC State game, but uh, excited to kind of see where the conversation goes, and we'll have a, have a look back at what's transpired so far this season. Yeah, man, should be a fun show. Uh, obviously not, not a super fun season so far. Uh, kind of a weird game here. Florida State, uh, 87th percentile performance on offense. That's good. Uh, 13th percentile performance on defense. Uh, that's that's bad. And, yeah, it, I mean, look, encouraged by some things. I've, when I watched the game today for a second time, and I always try to you know keep the, the instant reaction short because I want to make sure I want to go back and look and see what we have so I don't miss things or so I don't misstate things. I feel good about what we said in the instant, and uh, look, I still feel like this team played a lot better than the score indicated, and that has not always been the case this year. For instance, I, I don't think that they played nearly as well against Miami as the score indicated, right? Like, I, I, I think that they were pretty outclassed in that game. But in this one, I do feel like like they, they played a, a very even game for the most part. And I'm not saying they deserved to win, but they, I don't think they deserved to lose by three scores like, like they did. So it was a uh, a lot of things to take away from the the NC State game. It was not a entirely surprising result. There's certainly aspects of the game that we uh, would have had a hell of a hard time anticipating, and uh, you kind of mentioned it there uh, with the percentile uh, operation or as far as the functionality of the two different units. Uh, why don't we go ahead and, and start with offense? Obviously, the main story is going to involve you know who your quarterback was and and how we performed, but uh, on the whole, the offense had had a, a better day than expected. And and when we talk about optimism, a lot of the optimism is probably going to surround out of, out of what we saw from this unit. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. I, I think um, if you look at this, Florida State was more explosive than NC State by a good bit. And we know that explosiveness is the number one indicator of, of winning, followed closely by success rate in which Florida State was uh, soundly beaten in success rate. So what does that tell us? Florida State was the more explosive team on the day. NC State was the much more consistent team on the day. I think that's very much in keeping with, uh, with what we saw. Do you want to talk about Willie's quotes and that kind of stuff first? Yeah, I think it's a... It's a good idea. We'll we'll work that into the uh, into the offense and the overall, and then we'll we'll save a, a topic of conversation that we really don't delve into much until we feel that it's uh, exceptionally appropriate. And then this week it probably is. But uh, so so James the Blackman offense. Then. I'm sorry. So James Blackman then. <laughs> Those sorry. are the guys wearing uh, wearing the wearing the zebra shirts. Uh, ah, yes, that that as well. Yes. Uh, so you know, from the press conference, you had a coach that was talking about like needing to teach a team how to win again. 
how he has to kind of uh, manage his existing roster and, and also plan for the future. I don't know. A quote that he he loves this football team, bud. Yeah, I highly doubt that. I think he hates this team. I think he may love the idea of where he's taking the program or the, the team that he's building, but I think there's a... Uh, a lot of sources of frustration on this team. Probably a few on his own staff, too, which we can get to later. But uh, a team that is probably one of his more challenging encounters that he's that he's running into in the, uh, the coaching industry. I tell you what, uh, I think that we should have the Willie Taggart Truth Serum time right now. And I bet you that if you got Willie and, and you gave him the Truth Serum, he would tell you this team is the most mentally weak, softest, most selfish team roster that he has ever encountered. And that includes all the rebuilds he's had he's had to do at USF and Western Kentucky. And obviously when he got to Oregon, things weren't very good either. But man, I I bet you he cannot wait to get this year over with, to get out there, recruit, and and, and to get into year two, year three, year four down the line, man. Because it is this group of guys, I I think he probably honestly did think he could get them fixed. And I think there's a lot of guys in this team that you just can't fix. You just got to move on from, man. Um, now, I was encouraged that the team didn't quit on uh, on Saturday after they definitely quit against Clemson. I was encouraged that they did take away playing time for some of those guys. Until, of course, I mean, obviously, like, look, Arnold doesn't start the game. And I think there's a reason for that. But then Menchu goes down almost immediately. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but, no, I, I don't think Taggart likes this team at all. I, I have a very hard time believing it. I know he has to say that. You know, he he talked about how the players have to know that you love them and you truly care about them. And he is right about that. Because these are the same guys who who had their coaching staff basically quit on them last year. You know, quitting is nothing new to this squad. They've quit the last couple of years. They've had a coaching staff quit on them last year. And uh, and so you do have to remain positive. You do have to tell, to tell them this is part of the process. You know, I, I don't think anybody thought the process would have to be quite this painful. But, uh, you know, I think – to some extent, everybody underestimated some of the roster uh, issues, and uh, to another extent, I don't, I don't think they could have, you know, uh, projected that kind of luck that they would have. They've really doesn't it feel kind of like a perfect storm has like hit this team of like bad luck and breaks they just can't get. You know, I was listening to Willie this morning on uh, on the radio, and, and he you know he said, "Look, we knew we couldn't afford injuries on, on the offensive line. That was the one spot where depth wise, we just couldn't have them." And then what, they, what happens? They they go and they get decimated by injury uh, almost immediately up front, and it, and it really screws their season. I think if you if you keep the offensive line starters from from game one roughly together, I think you you probably have a five hundred or winning record right now. You know, I, I think you'd be on the way to like seven and five. Not now, but you you do have to have to remain positive. You got to make sure the kids believe in you, the ones that will still be around next year. So, yeah, it was just something he talked to, too. It's uh, By the way, uh, Tennessee Titans are just in the business of just fumbling like crazy. Today. Mariota fumbling, fumbling kickoffs. Just, uh, yeah, they're collapsing big time on Monday Night Football. But, uh, you know, he also talked about how he gave up uh, play calling duties for this game to, to Walt Bell. And I, I think there's a couple of interesting things to read into that as well. One of them is, quote, our football team is fragile. It's been through a lot. The entire team needs me in other areas on the sideline. I mean, he basically calls him fragile right there, right? I, I don't think he loves this team at all, man. How could you? Some of these guys are, are not real lovable characters. 
Well, yeah, I mean, any time a football coach calls his team fragile, I think there's things that you can take away from it. But this particular move, I think there's a, a couple different layers to it and a couple different conversations to have surrounding it. First of all, and I'm not trying to find optimism where I don't think it's necessarily there, I think this is a really good sign. I think it's a great sign that you have a head coach that's willing to do this. I think it's a great sign that you have a head coach that's willing to acknowledge this. I'm not naive to perhaps the importance that uh, that Walt Bell has with a, a particular quarterback that you're you're on the trail trying to get, and uh, Walt Bell is a exceptionally um, Walt Bell is an exceptionally a guy who wants to be a head coach. He's a, a, an aggressive. He's going to pursue opportunity, and Walt Bell ultimately is probably not going to be on this staff for a whole long time. I'm not saying he's leaving after the end of the year. But you're going to have a replacement to make it off its coordinator, and I can't begin to stress as to how much more an attractive job this is if the person that you're pursuing uh, thinks he's actually going to get to run the offense or call plays. So a lot of stuff rolled into that. Probably in each successive uh, thing that I mentioned, I would classify as a, a little bit of a lower importance, but I think there's a lot of kind of layers to this onion in particular. And uh, again, we're not we're not just grasping at straws for things to to talk about it in a positive manner, but uh, this one I, I think is something that you can be uh, somewhat encouraged by. Absolutely. And by the way, really astute point by you with, with, with the Sam Howell observation there. Um, did you really see anything different from the Walt Bell offense than the Willie Taggart offense? And I know we have a longer discussion coming on this later on in the episode. I, I didn't really. I mean, look, I, the backs stayed in the pass protect a little bit more. Tight ends, not so much. It's hard to separate some of what we've been seeing prior because in addition to having a, a coordinator change somewhat, you also had a, a full-on quarterback change, right? So there, there's a lot of variables that are changing at the same time. And and if I remember from, from my schooling, um, now I went to a state school, so you've got to forgive me here, but uh, – you're supposed to only change one variable at a time if you're trying to really evaluate that the the impact that variable has, you know, and uh, we really can't do that right now because of that. But I think that's that's an interesting interesting thing to watch going forward. Uh, should we go offense or should we go go a little officiating talk? Um, I almost think we if we save the officiating talk before defense, it might be better um, simply because most of the officiating stuff is is on the uh, is on the defensive side. Yeah, so we'll we'll circle back into the offensive conversation that we started to have before we kind of went back into some of the broader things. Um and and we just talked about the the biggest thing there was the was the change in both quarterback and and the uh person who was who was calling the plays, not so much physically calling the plays into the quarterback, but the person that was deciding the plays and and a little bit of a a different captain of the ship as far as the offensive uh responsibilities and play calling. So, uh Blackman Blackman certainly has his lim- limitations. Uh, everybody I don't think anybody is painting him to be a an all-world quarterback or a guy that's uh you know necessarily going to be a starter on Sundays, but uh we all knew that James Blackman could throw the deep ball uh, particularly well and except he's the always announcers. been able to do that. Yeah, except the announcers right who were just blown away. Blown away that this guy could throw the ball. Wow. Uh, the same, not necessarily the 
same individuals, but the same announcers who have at times said that like the best player on the field was DeAndre Francois and stuff like that this year. So um, when you're having a disappointing year and your record's garbage, uh, you can expect to get the lower end of the totem pole when it comes to the uh, announcing team. And, and Florida State fans have certainly had to uh, had to sit through some some tough listens this year. But uh, back to Blackman, made some really good throws, spread the ball around, doesn't necessarily lock in on one or two guys. And uh, the biggest thing is that when when a play goes to when a play goes to Ish, uh, I'll be PG here, and uh, and you have to kind of make chicken salad out of uh, out of chicken. There's nobody that there's certainly not a better option of the two that you can choose from. Blackman has a much better ability to improv and uh, is never anybody that's going to be a, a sprint champion, but certainly is a little quick on his feet and has the ability to uh, bounce around in, in whatever pocket that may be there. Uh, yeah, uh, his improv skills were, were a huge thing in this game. I I thought the ability to just buy a little bit of time, move in the pocket and move out of the pocket, uh, You know, made a lot of good throws. Here's my thing. If the play on the field is close, you got to go with Blackman because the intangibles are not close in my opinion. Like one guy is a leader, the other guy uh, – I don't know, man. I think we've always kind of been skeptical about it. Um, you know, somebody asked me, "Hey, do you think Francois will skip Senior Day if uh, if Blackman's benched?" And I, or excuse me, if, if if he's benched, and I was like, "Well, wait, Francois is not a senior." Um, and then I realized it was a joke because he skipped Senior Day last year. You know. Overall, I like what I saw from Blackman. I do think that Blackman will regress some uh, this season. That's regress, not progress. Uh, simply because teams are going to have a little more tape on him. They're going to be able to play some trap coverages on him. He'll face some better secondaries than what he saw against NC State, um, and he'll he'll probably face some some better you know pass rushes than what he saw against NC State, notably coming up against Notre Dame and then also against Florida. And then if they make a bowl game, which seems unlikely, it's not impossible, um, but, but it's certainly unlikely. But it was also unlikely really every game after he lost the Syracuse game. Uh, that, that you would actually end up making one. So good stuff from Blake, James Blackman. The most important thing here is that you're getting to see him in live game reps. That's really important because you got Sam Howell coming in and you want to know what you have in Blackman. You need to know how you need to prep Sam Howell. Do you, do, like if Blackman showed that he had no ability to run this offense in games, then you've got to get Sam Howell ready to start day one next year. If Blackman shows that he has the ability to actually play in games, then you you know you have an actual quarterback competition on your hands. Now, there is a little subtle difference there. I'm not going to totally get into it tonight, but but one is a little bit more of a desperation situation than the other is. So just, just something to think about there. Uh, unfortunately, for the final three games, Ingram, I, I didn't think it would be possible for this offensive line to get worse, but uh, apparently it is. It's my fault. I'm, I'm willing to, to take the uh... – Take the blame here. A couple weeks ago, I said, "Well, you do have you do have Minshew, who has the physical ability to occasionally win a stalemate. Not anymore. No, I mean it's it's just become a an act of sick comedy as to what's happened to your offensive line this year. And uh, absent something happening to Eberly, you you pretty much had the worst case scenario at every possible position." Uh, and it, it's hard to overstate. And when you look at uh, like what was tweeted out today about Florida State having the only two backs in the country who average a what contact before a yard 
on each yeah, run. Yeah, the only two backs uh, in the country who uh, average less than one yard before contact. I mean, now, I would look, say that's unbelievable, might, but that's, might that's believe, very believable. You might believe that Jock Patrick and Cam Akers just totally lost the ability to run the ball. Or you might believe that this is just one of the worst offensive lines you've ever seen and that these guys just simply can't play. Now, look, I do want to give a little bit of credit here, too, to Brady Scott. I think, like, Brady Scott, Brady Scott's guy that can play for me. You know what I mean? Like, not necessarily this year. But that's a guy that gives good effort. He does play hard. He's got a little bit of that nasty physical streak to him. I'm not saying he's going to be a great player or even like a decent player or like a real good player, but he's a guy who could be a starter for you, like deserve to be a starter for you at some point as opposed to just being one at a desperation. So I like what you have in him. The rest of the guys going forward, not not so much, to be honest. Uh, man. So I was talking to a buddy of mine tonight, and he's in scouting, and we were talking. He's like, "This is, this is the worst offensive line in the Power Five. And I was like, "Man, do you really think so? Like, there's like 65 teams in the Power Five. So we pulled out a list, and uh, I think I got him. I, I think I, I challenged him on a couple. And you got to keep in mind, Florida State plays a really, really difficult schedule this season. Really difficult. I mean, it's it's probably top five schedule difficulty." There are some teams that don't play that, so they look a little bit better. But it just in looking at this, the ones that I can come up with that I don't think I would take Florida State's line over, or excuse me, that I wouldn't take over Florida State's line, I don't think I would take Rutgers over FSU, but check with me again after we see him play Michigan this weekend. Rutgers is pretty bad. I don't think Washington State's offensive line is all that good, but they've looked good at times this year. Granted, Pac-12 defensive lines are, are nothing special. And Cal doesn't really seem to block anybody either. So you can maybe say Kansas, I guess. But this is kind of depressing that we're and, – and, and Louisville's offensive line is pretty bad too. Yeah, Louisville is, is absolutely horrible. You're right. But it, it is depressing that you've, uh, like, put this much thought into it and we're sitting here scrapping for maybe three or four teams in the – and the Power Five that have a worse situation than we do. Yeah, uh, so that's that's kind of depressing. Um, just got to keep that in mind. I mean, I know we talked about this last week, and, and we, we talked about some of the other media trying to create all these other narratives as, as like what's going on with the team. Number one issue by far, if, if, if we have Steve Harvey and a board up there, right? I mean, this this is the one hundred point answer, right? The one that if you if you give it in in, in, in the final segment. Your spouse doesn't have to even answer. It's like, all right, got it. It's not 100 point maybe, but it's probably in that 90 point range. You're like, oh, damn. Okay, got 90 points. That's that's pretty impressive. They just can't block anybody. This is also a good, a good time. We, we, we broke down this play tonight, by the way, the fourth and one for Florida State. Now, if you're going to do a running play there, I don't have a problem with, with, with what they call. First of all, I love them going for it. They actually should have gone for the other one, too. If, if there's a criticism, I'm going to criticize Willie for not going again. But he, he may at that point have been trying not to get blown out as badly as it looked like they might have. If you want to call a pass, I don't have a problem with that. If you want a quarterback sneak, granted, I'm guessing you haven't quarterback sneak, snuck a lot with Blackman in practice. I do think quarterback sneak could have worked there. Probably. Um, so I, I agree with that criticism completely. But the other one I heard was like, 
why don't they just run run, run a quick hitting run play? Just 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 give it to Pat, Patrick Rakers. Well, here's the deal. They don't get any movement. These guys get physically whipped at the point of attack and actually get pushed back. They're weak. They're not they're not good players. Yeah. Best push you get on this play is is from the far side tight end. Yeah. I mean, dude. So look, they have to trick people. They have to trick people. Period. They cannot physically line up and move folks. And that's depressing, but that's the truth. And that's why. For the most part, when I'm looking and evaluating plays and, and coaching decisions, I operate from the standpoint of this this coaching staff is op- is operating in a rational manner. Unless they give me a reason to think that they're not, you know? Like last year's staff when they basically just quit recruiting. Things got a little weird. But you come back to like, why would they call that? Okay. You could call a quarterback sneak, which I think is probably the best call there. You could call a pass. But if you're going to call a run, then it does make sense. Because if you watch it, the outside backer does get held a little bit by the jet motion, which is what the, what you were trying to accomplish there with the jet motion. And then you have two young players, one of whom I think just screws it up. Now, Arnold is the third guy that screws up on this. He just gets he just gets beat because he, because he's slow and he's not, he's not very good, right? The, the defensive tackle shoots the gap. But the play will still work even though Arnold got got smoked. The issue here is that I think Brady Scott was supposed to climb to the tack or climb to the linebacker and and let the uh let, let the tight end kind of wham the end there like you wouldn't like a like like a split zone look, or if not, Scott might have done it correctly, and neighbors should just block the wrong guy. One of the two screwed it up. I, there's some chance that both screwed it up, but I'm not entirely sure there. Now that does that is on coaching for sure to have guys making mental errors like that. It's also not entirely surprising, you know, in a new scheme that you have first year guys playing and young guys playing, and they're going to make mistakes like that. Uh, but that, but that is why they tried to run that. I'm that of that. I'm pretty sure. Um, so that was a little bit, uh, a little bit sad. But you know, it's not sad, man. The uh, I gotta tell you that the the receivers in this game, they kind of give you a little something, to, something to look forward to in the in the coming years. Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, it was it was kind of. Uh... I'm not going to say everything we thought Tamori and Terry could be because he certainly showed us a lot of flashes, but uh, it was uh, a lot of optimism as to what's there. The idea that we're going to, you know, take advantage of a uh, man v man on back to back plays with Terry is exceptional. I mean, if you want, if you want to run around and talk about lethal simplicity, there's there's no more simplicity that uh, that can be streamlined in this offense than when. When you've got a chance to get it up to 15, just put it up there. Uh, you know, if we're going to – I don't mean to take us down a rabbit hole, but if we're going to talk about taking plays out of the end zone on kickoffs because we want just the chance for big things to happen and we want to put our, you know, best athletes uh, in, in optimum situations, then we need to be throwing the ball downfield to 15 as frequent as possible. And this game uh, this game gave you a lot of reason to think that that may be something that uh, that you see – a whole lot more in the final four games of the year. Did you know that uh, that Terry had seventeen point eight yards per target? Uh, I did know that only because he was uh, one of the skill, one of the uh, conference skill players of the week, and that was that was one of the stats that was included in that. But uh, very very impressive. That is uh, that is that is more yards per target, literally like you know more yards per attempt at him than anybody else had yards per catch. 
That's really good. 63% success rate. And that does not include, by the way, uh, the pass interference, which he should have drawn for sure. And it also does not include, uh, by the way, the uh, uh, the pass that was called back due to a legitimate, I think legitimate, uh, holding call. So great day for Tamari and Terry. Uh, very excited to see what he can continue to do. And also, nice day, DJ Matthews, man. 12 targets, 10 catches. D- did you know that they're roommates, D- DJ and, uh, and, and James? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I'd heard that bantered about once or twice. Yeah. So um, now six targets, I believe it was for uh, for Nooney. Granted, he only played a half because of what he did the week before. Um, two catches. So also had a pretty crucial drop um, in which. What do you think's happening there? Do you think he's starting to celebrate before he actually catches the ball? Because we had some people float this idea to us, and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just not sure. I will repeat what, what I said last week. No, nothing about – you could pose anything to me about Nooney Murray, and, and nothing would surprise me. <laughs> nothing. Including the oh, fact man. that he started to celebrate before he caught a ball. Yes. You think he did? In a game okay. in that situation. I, I just – I don't want to accept that, but maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Um your top three pass targets in this game, DJ Matthews, 12 targets, Tamari and Terry, eight targets, not including, of course, the one called back by holding and not including the one in which he himself was held and it should have been PI. Uh, and then uh, Trey McKitty, six targets, uh, five catches on six targets for him. So that is uh, 26 targets for uh, th- your, your three second-year players. I tell you what, if I told you that Keith Gavin wasn't on the team next year, and obviously, Nyquan Murray is a senior, so he's not going to be back. But I told you your, your your top five pass catchers are DJ Tamarian, Trey McKitty, Treshawn Harrison, and let's say Keyshawn Helton. It could certainly be Pookie Wilson. You're feeling pretty good, right? Very much so. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a group you can work with. That's one of the strengths of the team, I, I would say. You know, and maybe we'll see if... Uh, you know, we'll see if, if they can ever get a run game going and if this offense will look at all like what it used to look like. Because uh, I tell you what, right now, man, just looking at looking at all this, it's it looks nothing, nothing like like what it looked like in, in previous years at all. Like I, I, I'm looking, I, I have tapes like like coaching tape from their their past stops. I know what their install looks like. I know what all their, what all their data looks like. And it's just nowhere close. They they have, like, this is not Willie Taggart's offense. And clearly, like, the personnel is limit, limit, limiting them limiting them in, in a way that's just, it's got to be maddening for the guy. I mean, I'm just pulling this up here, right? Obviously, they're, they're, they have a real extreme split in terms of explosiveness and efficiency. This year, Florida State... You know they're 11th nationally in ISO PPP, which is explosiveness rating, and they're 125th in success rate, which is like consistency rating. So like when they actually hit a, a, a successful play, it's like very successful. The issue, of course, is they, they just can't hit them very often because they they can so rarely block. You know their success rate on on early downs is absolutely terrible. They're worst in the nation, literally 130th out of 130 
in uh, in field position that they to, uh, that they give to the defense, which is largely because the offense can't move the ball consistently. I mean, it's almost all or nothing, you know. Finishing drives, whatever, kind of about in line. I mean, 124th in rushing efficiency, 129th in opportunity rate, which is like how many that, – that's kind of an offensive line measure there. So 129th is not great. 130th, here we go, in uh, in line yards per carry. And I don't love line yards per carry as a, a number. I think it's kind of a flawed stat. But when it, it's so far you know, out there on the margins, I, I think it kind of be instructive uh, a little bit. So that, that's – you know, interesting to me. Uh, so here we go. Adjusted run rate last year. Oregon, 14th. Adjusted pace, 8th. I wonder what Florida State is this year. So 14th and 8th for last year. I'm guessing it's not much higher this year. All right, this year, adjusted run rate. You, you ready for this? You, you want to guess how much less often they're running the ball this year, Ingram? Uh, not particularly. I don't think I would I would put a good guess together at that. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So last year, 14th. This year, 93rd. Mm, glad I didn't guess. Good. Now, look, that is an intent thing, right? It's not necessarily a, a reflection of success. But there is sort of like, like it's a look at your play calling. And, and this year's team, they're just so bad at blocking anybody and running the ball that they, they can't run it very often, right? Like, people are like, oh, they need to run it more. Guys, or excuse me, they, they're like, we need to run it run it less and throw it more. Guys, they're 93rd in how often they rush. Willie Tackert's real offense, the one that I think you'll see, you know, in the coming years, hopefully, the one that he was brought here to run, runs the ball a hell of a lot more than that. Like, a lot more than that. Maybe closer to 60% of the time. And adjusted pace this year, 58th. That is actually faster than how than how fast they've been going. But look, they, they've not really been able to use pace very much this year because they are so bad on standard downs. You know, they're 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 107th in standard downs. They're actually 38th on passing downs, which is rather remarkable. And I think it's a great reflection of of some of the receiver talent they have on, on this team. And it's also a reflection of these quarterbacks being willing to stand in and take some shots. But uh but yeah, that that was pretty interesting to me. Um, it's hard to run pace if, if you're just constantly getting blown up on first down. So um, that was a little bit rambling, I guess. But I, I have a piece coming out on this, uh, just how like, hey, you know, is this like just how different is this offense than the one that was expected? And uh, the answer is very. It's 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 very different. So you know, what it is is very consistent though, Edgar. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Absolutely. It's our uh, our friends over at Madison Social. That's right, man. They have great consistency. They consistently put out awesome specials like the social agreement. Two burgers, order wings, two ales, two bourbons. Was it 40 bucks, I think? That for 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 two guys? That's great. I, I want to go to I want to go to Madso on a day where I, where I get done at the office. Want to go with the buddy, enjoy that, maybe watch watch a little football at night. That's a good time. Great food, great drinks, great people at Madso, and also Township and Central. Be sure to check those guys out right there in College Town in the shadow of Doe Campbell Stadium. A longtime supporter 
of the Nolcast. It's getting to be uh, something that we've long time talked about on the Nolcast. Getting to be boot weather, uh, Bud. It would be uh, it is boot season. It was boot season down there now. Now with, with recess there, it may, may be like boot and bathing suit season still at the same time. But uh, a lot of things going on. Fantastic uh, time, regardless of the uh, location. And uh, thank you as always to our our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. So, Bud, we've, we've talked about the offense. Let's move into. Uh, Let's move into officiating. Officiating, if you if you listen to this podcast for a while, not something that we talk about frequently. Uh, we we try to uh, hold this topic of conversation off and, unless it's uh, exceptionally warranted. And after watching Saturday and we re- rewatching, something that we need to devote five minutes to. Uh, not not something that we're going to blame for the outcome, but it was a. Uh, a performance by the officials that's that's kind of hard to make sense of uh, as, as I look back and watch the game earlier this morning again. It was really bad. I mean, look, I long-time listeners know maybe once a year we'll, we'll really bring up the refs. And, look, we talked about the refs in the Miami game, but it was more within the context of, like, that one specific call, which, which they screwed up, you know. Um, this was a really bad officiating effort all around, and I'm sure there were some calls – that went against NC State. But I think if you get like an average effort from the officials in this game, Florida State probably loses the game by, I don't know, 10, not 19. The the calls NC State got were, were really, really impactful calls. They, they, they mattered in, in the ballgame. They, they kept drives alive. And a lot of them were just flat out wrong. Some of them were judgment calls, which I get. And I totally understand that Florida State's not going to get the benefit of the doubt right now. But, man, they got screwed on several drives. Just flat-out screwed. And, and it's not – I really don't think it's just my opinion. I mean, just go back and look at them. And Willie Taggart did the whole, you know, I'm not going to get fined thing, which I don't blame him. I mean, he already gave a million bucks to uh, you know to the football-owned facility. He's, he's you know, probably wants yeah. to keep the rest of his salary. Doesn't need to be given 60000 to Greensboro. I agree. But uh, – Man, it was horrible. It was it was absolutely horrible, and and I'm sorry. Wasn't at one point there were 13 straight penalties called against Florida State. That's just not that's not the way the game. NC played. State's just so well coached, man. Right? That's the oh issue. yeah, They're definitely. Just so well coached. Yeah. And, that's not you know, the, they just don't that, commit any that's penalties. That's not how football works, guys. You don't have a team that commits 13 penalties. I mean, the idea that Florida State wasn't getting held at times. The the idea, obviously, the pass interferences are going to be the first thing that stand out to people's mind. This was. Uh, this wasn't as bad as 2011 Wake Forest, which is a game that I hope no other Florida State game approaches at all in referee ineptitude to the point where it is probably the only Florida State sporting event I've ever watched that I was wondering if uh, if there was a, a legitimate contested outcome in. Uh, I digress, but it was it was as bad a performance as I've seen from the officials in, in at least half a decade. It, it was so bad. I mean... All right, the Stanford Samuels pass interference call. Inexplicable. Man, they should put that. That's a it's great coverage. And the ref has a great There's great just, view of the guy who makes the call. That that's what bothers me the most of it. I mean, why? Like, like why? Why call that? That that's nonsense. It and it kept the drive alive. In addition to all the other breaks, NC State was getting like like Florida State actually tipping a ball. And going right into the hands of another <laughs> NC State receiver for, for the first down. It, it, when that happened, it was like, oh man, this is not going to be a good day for them. Like, you know, they're 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 already 
they're already kind of limited and uh, you know or Dontavious Jackson's personal foul like what is that it's just so ticky tack nonsense it, on, on on the one toss play that scores Leonard Warner is like bear hugged I mean I, you're, like bears are supposed to be hibernating right now what what in the world like, dude that that guy just comes up through and just wraps him up <laughs> you get the you, you, you get the pretty egregious tackle on Blackman um Another pass interference I, I thought was was really BS in this. Several just kind of holding slash tackles up front by, by those guys. Look, NC State blocked well. We'll talk about that in, in the defensive portion of the show. But, man, oh, how, how about not calling pass interference when Terry is uh, is being escorted by his arm down yeah, the field? Absolutely. No, there's, there's a lot of calls that are really uh, – Really make you wonder. It was a it was a, a rare performance. Not a subject that we speak a lot of, but uh, it was a lot a lot of things that were inexplicable, and it's just a rough day for the officials on Saturday. I will say, I think Florida State was fortunate not to have a player ejected uh, in the where the where the guy gets two fouls in one play. That that'll be the one one thing that I say the officials probably could have. Probably could have erred on the on the other side and, and chose to keep a player in the game who, if they would have ejected him, I would have understood. Yeah, I, that's yeah. All right, here's something for for you. Do you feel like this team is is becoming any more disciplined? Because I in watching like the Louisville Miami Wake games, I thought they were more disciplined. And in the first quarter of Clemson, aside from Asante Samuel, obviously, you know, doing doing the freshman thing and running into the kicker, uh, I thought they had a pretty good quarter there. So I was kind of like, oh, a little bit buoyed. You know, they had put together like 10 or 12 straight quarters of, of fairly decent discipline. But then the, the, the final three quarters of Clemson happened. And then this game happened, and I'm having a little bit of trouble figuring out, like, is this team – like, how much of that was refs and how much of that was bad discipline? I, I think certainly some of it was poor discipline. Um, you know, like the holdings on kickoffs and stuff are, are not – that that's not on the refs. Um, but I don't know, man. Like, I just – I don't think this team is, like, going, like, downhill in terms of discipline. I, I just don't know if they're making good strides. Progress certainly wasn't there on Saturday. Uh, Clemson, I thought the team was fairly well disciplined until it became evident that – you exerted an exceptional amount of energy in the first quarter. Uh, you tried to play against an opponent that quite honestly was superior, and then once kind of you and he realized that, uh, a lot of things got away from you. I mean, we're, we're a hell of a lot better lining up on offense. That's nice. Um, that is true. The, hey, the rec- yeah, like, like, like these receivers this year are better than last year, I think. They are. We still do a lot of things that are that are very dumb and hard to explain. So I, I would like to see sample size here. Uh, I don't, I don't know what we're going to uh, to learn <laughs> to learn this this Saturday night in South Bend. But uh, I agree with you. I thought we were I thought we were headed in the right direction when it when it comes to kind of overall uh, soundness of play uh, and the the mental focus and buy-in. And, and I think we've kind of seen a slip, slip in that over the past six or seven quarters. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what this team does over the final 12 quarters of the season. Um, now, the fall starts, obviously, look, that's either guys being really undisciplined and not being focused, or mm-hmm. it could be that these guys aren't any good and that they're trying to get a jump on it because they know if they don't get a jump, they're going to uh, they're going to get smoked. It's a it's a bad feeling when you're in a football game and you look across the line of scrimmage and you know that guy's better than you. And uh, I I can I can certainly understand if a lot of our guys are. Uh, Trying to trying to get that extra quarter of a second or so, uh, and all of the advantages that come with it, uh, I can I I don't have any trouble buying into the fact that we're having an abnormal amount of false starts because our offensive line know that they're just not very good and they need every every inch that they can get. No doubt. Uh, all right. So with that, let's talk briefly here. About our third sponsor of the night, that's Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is a great null owned business. Chad and Shannon will get you hooked up with the best home loan possible. They want to communicate great with you. They want to walk you through the process, keep it simple for you, and also give you a great rate. So give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. Let them know the null cast sent you and... Uh, Join, uh, like I think we now have double-digit NOLCAST listeners who, who have closed loans uh, with Resolution Home Loans. So very excited about that. And uh, just just a great product and, and, and good people to work with. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the defense here. Ingram, this is a defense which gave up um, pretty astounding um, 54% success rate. That's 54%. That is uh, not going to work at all. Was astounding and and a large part unexpected. Uh, I just I didn't think that this was what we would see from the defense. Uh, disappointing day from a, a kind of a vast swath of of what was out there. Defensive line uh, didn't play to the level that it had otherwise. Uh, the linebackers were painfully exposed for for what they are, and occasionally there's a strong flash of play from the safeties, but uh, not not their best day either. No. Uh, so Cyrus Fagan obviously didn't start. Um, did he actually end up playing at all? I'm trying to remember. But, uh, you know, Westbrook got to play. Uh, Nostral Dean got, got to play. Um, Samuel saw some time there at, at, at corner. But your linebackers right now are, uh, are getting taken advantage of uh, pretty regularly. And, uh, and that's just not something I don't think you're going to be able to do much. It's almost like a game of hide and seek, right? Like, like you. You probably got a couple good hiding hiding spots in your house, but like once you've shown them all, if you if you keep playing hide and seek, everybody's going to check those spots, and you run out of ways to hide. Yeah, them. well, we've tried to hide twenty nine. Uh, we've tried to they, put. They don't fit gaps. They they don't they don't fill. They're not physical. They're the ones who are small are way too slow for being for being that small. Um, Thomas is the most passive guy, linebacker I've ever ever seen play. Uh, frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah, but but that that's that that was his rep at Bama too. Was that he he was soft and and, and wouldn't hit, um, and they, they took him because they needed a body and they thought they could, you know they could reclaim him and doesn't seem to have happened. Um, so I'm not really surprised by that. We said that in preseason that that was you know a, a pretty major concern. Had a guy who works in college football ask me if uh, if 28 was a walk on, 
So, you know, and I'm like, look, it's not to Kalen Brooks's fault that he's a starter. It's more of a reflection on what you have on the rest of the roster. You know, clearly they, they don't trust Leonard Warner to play enough. Emmett Rice's knee must not be all the way right, or maybe he doesn't pick up the defense quite yet. Dontavious, you know, does some good things when he's out there. Uh, but other than that, man, they 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 just catch blocks. They, they don't they don't take them on. They're not physical with them. They, they don't they don't trigger and, and, and shoot gaps. The broadcast was talking about how Florida State needed to run blitz a lot more, and I'm thinking, literally, you're complaining about the lack of run blitzing. The play after they run blitzed, I'm not sure what those guys were watching. That, that, I, I had to mute it upon the second time, but uh, yeah, that was that was rough. Um, the linebackers just got taken advantage of. I didn't think the defensive line in this game was as good as it had been in prior games. I thought NC State did some good things to keep them off balance, but still, I thought NC State was more physical. And uh, and this was a real disappointing effort in terms of not like want to, but just in terms of like toughness and, uh, and, and down-to-down physicality from this defense in this game. I didn't think it was very good. Uh, and, and that's something that's got to improve. Uh, but yeah, look, these teams know that FSU's linebackers and – Safeties, especially in pass coverage, aren't any good. And in this game, they got ran on. So that's two games in a row where the defense has just been totally exposed. And uh, I, this weekend, I think it'll be three. I, I, uh, I, I think Florida State might might lose like thirty to nothing. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I don't like snowy conditions up there. And uh, Notre Dame looks pretty good. Haven't watched them a lot this year, especially with Ian Book. But man, these. They got to recruit through this, and, and, and they got to hope they can develop a couple of the guys who are on their current roster. I'm not sure. I really have a, a whole lot more to add to that. It was uh, it was just a disappointing, disappointing performance from uh, from a unit that has otherwise kind of kind of carried the carried their end of uh, of the agreement so far. So uh, tough time overall. Special teams, not really a whole lot worth mentioning, uh, other than. It's a unit that has underperformed since the first play or since the first time we've seen him against Virginia Tech, and there's been no progress uptick or anything else. Again, we mentioned this in the last podcast. Uh, both of us are have friends in the industry. We don't necessarily make a make a habit out of calling for people's jobs, but I would be surprised at this point uh, if you didn't see multiple turnover and, and one of them being with a special teams level of play unacceptable. And it's been that way since since game one, and, and hasn't really varied at all. Yeah, this is uh, this very disappointing with Alonzo Hampton's unit. You know, I, I I've had good interactions with, with, with Hampton, but at this point, uh, man, I, I think they've almost certainly got to make a change at the end of the season if if indeed he's running those special teams. Now, if it's just title only, then maybe they don't. But but if he's actually in charge of the special teams, I mean, those special teams are are, are kind of a disaster right now and that does hurt Florida State a lot it hurts their their field position on a, on a game-to-game basis now Taggart was asked about uh, you know why don't they just fair catch and have better field position and I totally agree that would be the right choice to make if uh, if they were absolutely trying to win these games like win at all costs but I don't think they are I'm not saying Florida State is trying to lose they're, they're certainly not but they're not like doing every single thing they can to win um in my opinion, because they like Tagger said that look, with the athletes we have, we need to be able to to return balls, right? We need to take advantage of our athleticism and, and we need to coach it better. We need to block it up right. 
We need to block it up without getting penalized. That needs to be something that we, we can do in this program. Now, in saying that, he's clearly like, like saying that with, with a look to the future, in my opinion. Like, hey, I don't want to set that tone that we're not going to be a team that returns kicks. We are definitely going to return kicks. We have the athletes to do it. And I think most programs should just take the fair catch. If I was coaching Florida State right now and I had to win a game, I would fair catch, probably. But I'll explain why, maybe not in a second. Um, however, if I'm trying to set the tone and the culture, then yeah, I'm going to keep getting game reps. And it may keep hurting me, but look, this season's kind of lost anyway. So maybe I won't. Um, now, the other thing, and I know we've talked about this before, is like Florida State's offense is so bad that it may be worth it like if you can just get one decent return per game out of this, you know what I mean? Like, like can you break one in a big game? You know, can you get the ball in DJ's hands or Grant's hands or somebody's hands to make a big time play? Because uh, if you can, then it's certainly worth it. Um, but so far, it has not been worth it. But that, that's that's using hindsight bias by me, of course. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It would be worth it, and certainly would be great to look up and you know see yourself starting at the opponent's 42 or something like that. But it uh, just seems far more likely that we're going to be finding ourselves operating from our own three or something like that. It, it's just the the way that that unit's gone. I can uh, accept Coach Taggart's uh, answer on that. And to an extent, I agree with him that the DNA of this program is not taking a knee on special teams. Uh, it is the fact that you have, on the whole, have exceptional athletes and you want to give those guys as, as big of a – a chance to have as impactful uh, an opportunity as possible in the game, but at this point, I would, uh, I would, I would be fine, uh, particularly Saturday night, if if we don't try to uh, try to take balls out six yards out of the end zone and uh, in a situation that we're gonna have a have a rather significant amount of struggles as is. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would expect uh, continued struggles with the special teams this year and. Look, I, I do think that if you make if you make a change with the special teams coach, it also sends a message to the team like, hey, I hold my coaching staff responsible as well, right? Like you can't have these kind of errors. And these are clearly like like if you identify areas of the team that are underachieving relative to talent level, special teams is by is far and away number one, right? Offensive line, I, I don't think Greg Fry is doing a bad job. I just don't think he has any talent to work with. Period. I just. I don't think he does. Uh, and and Taggart's basically admitted as much in, in interviews when he says, we knew we didn't have depth. He's not talking about numbers necessarily, although the, the numbers that they had weren't good. He's really talking about, like, quality depth. But special teams-wise, they should be a lot better. They're not. They should make a change, in my opinion, in order to try and get better. Just that simple. Probably a little bit of a, of a time here as we close out the show to discuss uh, discuss your new bowl projections. Do, do you uh, neither of us have FSU going to a bowl? Uh, if we had to like like say yes or no, but do you have an updated percentage for me or anything? It's a toughie, man. It's a toughie. I, I think I've been the uh, slightly more optimistic of the two of us, and uh, this weekend took a took a pretty significant downturn, uh, particularly with what you saw on defense and. Man, if if DC's embarrassing your linebackers, then I'm real afraid of what BC is going to do. Uh, I just don't see it out there. Uh, I've got uh, Florida State's bowl possibilities hovering uh, in in the mid to high teens right now. Took a pretty big haircut. 
Yeah, yeah. I also gave it a haircut. Uh, I, I ran my own numbers, and I'm at 21%. So, Tables have turned. Look at uh, look at old Mr. Optimism over there. Look at, look at that, man. <laughs> I'm the optimistic one now. 21%, which is, uh, look, I mean, five to one, or four to one underdogs, you know, five to one underdogs are consistently, like, they, they happen, you know, about one in every five times, I guess, uh, if, if you were to, uh, like, duh, obviously, but, yeah. Um, but, uh just looking, looking forward to the schedule. Um, you know, Boston College, A.J. Dillon has some injury concerns. We'll see if he plays this week at Clemson. Uh, they do like to play real up-tempo, so does Florida State. And uh, BC's defense is kind of sneaky bad this year. So you get them at home, you know, maybe you can score some points on them. Their, their, their defense is, I don't know, like they're not terrible, but like I, I don't feel like they're they're quite as good as, as some of their, their numbers suggest they are. Maybe I'm wrong about that, um, but but we'll see. They, they, did, they did hold NC State to uh, to 23 in Raleigh, so that's a lot better than Florida State did. Um, and then Florida this weekend, I don't know if you caught this, but but Florida was blown out by three touchdowns in the swamp by Missouri. Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, I I that was uh, that was in my numbers there, but uh, yeah, that was nice. Uh, at least if you're gonna have the type of season that you've had. Uh, Florida and Miami have been right there with you to walk down the waters of mediocrity, and uh, you know there's no there's no freight train in this state that's about to run away from everybody, and particularly on the recruiting trail. So that's uh, that's uh, a lone positive that you can take away from from some of the recruiting implications of a rather frustrating year Florida State's had. Man, since the bye week, Florida's just been terrible. I mean. Thirty-one percent, eighteen percent on defense. Yeah, Miami's been doing their own thing too. Yeah, that's true. I think the difference is that Miami lost early in a year, and so everybody kind of wrote them off immediately. As opposed to Florida, you know, I guess Florida did lose early, but they were because they're SEC, of course, that they, they were up there in the top ten for a little while, which is a little bit ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Miami, check this out. Miami actually had a post-game win expectancy against Duke of sixty-eight. And at Virginia, it was 64. So there's a chance Miami's a little bit, like, undervalued right now for from a gambling perspective. So that, that'll be interesting to uh, to watch. Uh, that is the uh, – that's the bell, by the way, I, I think, on, on this episode. So uh, with that, we really appreciate you all listening. It's been a trying season for FSU fans out there. And we, we try to bring you the best information and, and the best takes every week. And uh, if you like it, we'd really appreciate you giving us five stars on iTunes. Also, if you're still a person using Google Play Music, we suggest that you switch to Google Podcasts. It does seem like Google is pushing Google Podcasts. We've had several people have trouble on Google Play Music, but when they switch to, to Google to Google Podcast, Google Podcast instead of Google Play Music, they don't seem to have problems. So uh, with that, uh, I guess we will catch you next week and uh, five stars if you like it.